So, Damien, great to see you again. It's great to be here with you again in conversation with our leading expert on all things investment and macroeconomic. We're in an upgraded session, upgraded environment, because we got such rave reviews the last time. They said, do it again and do it better. So that's our- No pressure. There's so much we can talk about, but I think we probably have to start with the big picture, usually. The big picture stuff, I mean, I don't know when people are going to hear this, but there's there's you know global geopolitical stuff going on, probably worth talking about what that may mean or doesn't mean. There's stuff going on with, you know, politics and party conferences and, you know, central banks and so forth. So we probably should touch on some of that to start with. Sure. I mean, we can maybe you've been to talking to, to clients a lot recently. What, what are the kind of things that they're, that they're bringing up to you? So the, the, the constant refrain, I think, from clients is, what does it mean? I don't get it. Whatever the it is. So it might be, you know, what's happening in the U.S. with Trump running and what could that mean? It might mean, you know, the military operations happening in the Middle East just, just now. But whatever the, the headline is that they're reading, and they're not all reading the same thing, so it's not like there's one question, but the underlying question keeps coming back as, well, what does this mean? You know, what, what does this headline mean? What does that headline mean? And it's understandable, right? It, it's hard to disassociate the fact that, you know, this one event probably doesn't change everything about all markets and all investing and long-term and so forth. Because it all seems so important. It all seems so real. It seems so serious. And, and it is. Bombs going off, people dying, you know, g massive potential changes in policy and so forth. It, it's not that it's not serious, but I think people really struggle with connecting or understanding what the connection is between a headline, as big and serious as it is, and their portfolio. Right. You probably agree that, I mean, we, we've seen enough headlines in our careers that, you You're know, making another gray hair joke already. <laughs> that, you know, you, you have to take a lot of them with a pinch of salt. But I can understand, you know, when you hear all these headlines about rates rising, inflation, I mean, these these are, I guess, it is news. I mean, we haven't heard these kind of headlines since probably the 70s, really. That's not in a lot of people's uh, memory, uh, certainly not investment memories. So I can understand uh, people, you know, being concerned, what does this mean? And I think... What, what I would say to clients, I think, is first of all, inflation has been the big bogeyman. And that's that's obviously a big concern for markets. That's never been good for investment returns. Last time around, inflation was sparked by war, right? You have the Russian invasion of Ukraine that kicks off things with food, that kicks off things with energy, it kicks off massive and COVID. supply disruption, COVID, right? So we had these very specific things trigger yeah. an inflationary cycle, which... You know, and th that autumn they said it was going to be transitory, and then a couple of months later, it's clearly going to be more persistent. Right. So now that's one of the questions that's come up just in recent days. We have another war kicking off. We have another situation. Is this a cause for concern about a further inflationary spike or a derailment of the inflation progress that was being made? We don't know the answer, but those are the types of questions that are coming up. Sure, uh, and I can understand that. I mean, if we look back at the Ukraine conflict, it's hard to sort of separate them out, but the effects of COVID and everyone coming back uh, to work at the same time and the opening up of economies, at the same time, you had unprecedented levels of government stimulus, monetary stimulus hitting economies. So that was quite inflationary as well. So we mustn't forget that. And that's probably been the, the prominent driver. What we've seen over the past year or so is we've seen rates being lifted to try and tame inflation. It, it's it's a bit early yet. I mean, we, we, we have to be uh, we have to be skeptical about these things when we work in markets, don't we? 
But so far, you know, inflation numbers are are coming down. Uh, so I'd say they can't go up again. And maybe it's because of the situation in the Middle East could could escalate the, the price of uh, commodities. I think the situation so far in the Middle East is, is relatively contained. I don't think that's going to cause inflation. Well, it feels like a lot of the more recent inflationary drivers have been domestic. It's been what's happening with the wage cycle. It's been what's happening with the flow through of higher rates into mortgages. It feels like, you know, those external events will always happen. There'll always be some type of shock, but it feels like the main forces driving inflation either to stay or to reduce feels like it's less about external shocks now. Right. And wages are a big driver uh, of inflation. You really have to watch that number. And the most recent data that came out last week shows that there's there's little wage pressure actually in the US. So the reading came out about 4.2% wage growth for year on year. And, and that's quite manageable. So no inflation scare there. Uh, commodity prices have come down um, by and large recently. So less inflationary pressure there. And uh, shelter costs, you know, that's rent. Those costs have come down a bit as well. So that there's, there's in all the negative headlines, there's some good news there. Let's jump around a little bit. So let's come back to macro in a second, but let's follow this thread into portfolio. So we've just gone through our semi-annual rebalancing period where we look at every client portfolio, look at every specific situation, what their cash needs are going to be in, cash flows and so forth, their tax situation. We try and overlay that on the work that you and your team are doing in terms of what's the best way to improve and tweak the portfolios. So we've just gone through that huge process. Um, maybe you could update whoever wants to hear this, what our latest thinking is about what you're saying, where we seem to be with inflation and what's in the portfolios. Yeah, sure. Maybe taking a step backwards, you remember at the beginning of 2022, we had quite a lot of inflation protection in our portfolios with quite low sensitivity to rising rates. And that worked out pretty well, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> the time has moved on. And I, since around September last year, when we discussed at the investment committee about inflation, we thought it doesn't seem as, as strong. It doesn't seem it's the same force going forward as it has been. Rates are rising. You, you, you mentioned things like the Fed thinking that interest rates or inflation might be transitory. They got that wrong. So we, we do have to be skeptical. But we felt that the Fed had finally got hold of, of inflation. They raised rates sufficiently that they were going to be able to tame it. And the evidence so far is pretty good. So we started reducing our inflation detected. And what we did was we started increasing sensitivity to interest rates. Because if inflation is no longer a big concern for our central banks, then they don't have to keep interest rates as high. doesn't mean they go down straight away, but it means they don't have to uh, to keep them high. So that means that we increased our exposure to interest rates because we feel over the next five years, possibility is that rates will be lower rather than higher than they are today. That seems reasonable. And I want, I want to put a pin in that one for a minute because I want us to come back and spend a lot more time about the implications of higher rates and bonds and so forth. So we're definitely going to come back and spend more time talking about that. Just to finish off the macro scene, so paint the picture, you were talking about central banks and, and interest rates going up and down and where they are and getting it wrong and so forth. I mean, and we've got some gray hair, so we've seen a couple of cycles. It, it does seem to me that when you think about not just where we are, but where we're going, right? Because people always want to say, well, you know, what should I be thinking about? What should I be looking out for? What should I be worried about? One of the things looking forward is uh, when you get to these sort of changes in cycles, whether it's interest rate cycles or in this case, Fed central bank policy cycles, 
that tends to be points of worry in the market, uncertainty, maybe market choppiness, et cetera. So if the Fed's sort of done what they need to do and we're sort of at a plateau for some period of time before it changes, is, is that a worry? Is that something you are thinking about or concerned about? I'm not concerned uh, as much this time. I think from a market perspective, you know, the U.S. economy is, is, is doing pretty well and the implications on the market and earnings are pretty robust. So we're seeing earnings are being pretty resilient. I think we've talked about this before and I've certainly put it in investment letters. Earnings are resilient and, and that's something to, you know, when you get all this distraction about inflation and what's going on, the macro and all that noise about interest rates, the company fundamentals have been pretty, pretty strong. Companies are still making profits. People are still going out buying things and, and that's continuing, you know, and that's, that's what's kept the market going. I think a lot of people got concerned about recession, which was an understandable concern because a lot of the so-called experts were saying there was going to be a recession this year. It hasn't come to pass yet. I tell you, when, when clients bring this up, I, I usually go in this whole riff about recession because you know, it's like, okay, let's say there is, so what? There's, there's this presumption that because the headlines make it sound like it's such a terrible thing. And in, in daily life, you know, and on a, on a day-to-day economic basis, living in the world basis is not pleasant, but there's a disconnect from markets there, right? So markets are looking forward. Usually by the time you're in recession, they're already looking to what's coming next. Often the market reaction to the recession you've already experienced, even if it's not perfectly timed, even if there's sort of fits and starts along the way. So the, the idea that someone's going to call Q3 or Q4 as the official start of recession is like, it's an interesting headline and it may have something to do with, you know, what you experience going to the grocery You're store. You're not calling a recession. I'm definitely not calling here. <laughs> okay. Actually, what I'm saying to most clients is stop and think, does that really matter? Is that really the thing to focus on? Whether this binary outcome of whether we are or aren't in recession, it isn't really. Um, and, and the markets aren't thinking about it that way either. So. Yeah. I mean, don't you think though, that when we sort of reflect back on over the last few years and we had a quite profound recession during COVID. I mean, you know, sometimes I think it would be a bad thing to be able to predict the future because if you knew what was about to happen 2019 and you knew there was going to be inflation and war and COVID, you probably would have put your money under the bed and you would have missed 30% returns in the US market since then. Yeah. And I think that disconnect is the key message, right? So even if you had perfect knowledge, which you never will, about what was going to happen and when it was going to happen, to think that that translates into some predestined outcome in markets is a, is a disconnect. It's not really true. That's exactly right. And that's why I think it's dangerous for people to listen to strategists who say, oh, there's going to be a recession. Because what are you supposed to do with that? Is it going to be a shallow recession? Is it going to be a deep recession? Does the, is it already in the price? Is it, you know, the markets know all these things. So there's there's a lot of information already in the market price. So it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone if there is a recession because we've been talking about it for so long. I find that when I'm talking to clients, I try to let them know ahead of time about the worries that in theory are coming so that they don't overreact when they come. So when, they're good. not really going to see the Fed right. cycle shift and that type of thing, but they will see political instability, right? We know that over the next... Like what? Months, do you think you have anything in particular? Oh, just, you know, US. Um, and even here in the UK, right? We're just going through the party conference period. Yep. Labor's well ahead in the polls. Conservatives are trying to do quite a lot to catch up. Yeah. We might see unexpected policy shift as a result, yeah. um, let alone potential regime shift if labor comes in before the end of next year. In the US, it's going to get really ugly and dirty and noisy and so forth. We've already seen potential government shutdowns, loss of the House of the Speaker, all sorts of noise, right? A lot. Yeah. So usually when I'm talking to clients, I'm like, look, 
there's going to be a lot of noise. You're going to see some really weird headlines. There's going to be some uncomfortable events that doesn't necessarily mean anything for right. markets. We have no idea what that means. And don't, don't presume that a bad headline means something terrible about markets or your portfolios or whatever. Well, it's because people in the media have to be sensational, right? People have got to make a story and you got to make it interesting and you got to scare people. So it's... That's, I think, often how politics work. You know, it's, you've, you've got to scare people into voting for you. Damien, let's pick up the conversation again. I am really interested in making sure that people understand what's happening, not just in the world, which is what they always ask about, but more particularly in financial markets, which they don't see as much, and then obviously in their portfolios, which is the conversation that I'm trying to have with clients all the time. So on on the market piece, mm-hmm. it feels like one of the big issues has been the relatively rapid change in the level of interest rates and what that has meant for lots of things, but in our conversation, what that's meant for bonds and fixed income investing. So maybe we can dive into the conversation. Do you think clients understand wow, the dynamics of the Definitely bond? not. I mean, we do the we do the little seesaw thing of rates and price and so forth. So they get that there's an inverse relationship in general. Right. And of course they experience some of that because they saw some of the negative effect of how their fixed income portion of portfolio was performing as rates are going up. So they have a bit of a sense of it. Right. But they certainly don't have any sense about what the long term future implications are of buying bonds when rates are higher and there's more income and so forth. So it's a much more nuanced conversation that I'd love for us to have on yeah. their behalf. I don't know how how best to take explain this, but maybe use some good ideas. But I mean, bonds is essentially about interest rate sensitivity, you know, and understanding that sensitivity, so that when interest rates go up, bond markets go down, as they did in in twenty twenty two, quite dramatically. So, and when interest rates peak and then come down again, we expect bond prices to gain they benefit. So it's it is a bit of counterintuitive, I guess. Yeah. As interest rates are going up your bond values are going down and it's it's a vice versa sort of situation. I mean, I think there's a visceral understanding that interest rates going up is bad, right? Because they feel that in mortgages, they feel that in other places. So they, right. they get a general sense, oh my goodness, this is bad. And so I think it's probably easier to translate that into their portfolio, say, oh, it's bad there too. Yeah. That sort of feels natural maybe. Right. But to understand the second order implication that, okay, that happened, but what does it mean going forward? What does it mean for both bond prices, if mm-hmm. rates stay the same or rates come down, what does it mean for expected return of your portfolio at the fixed income portion? That is not intuitive. Right. And while it's it's painful experience when rates are going up and bonds are, are coming uh, down in price, it doesn't mean that it's capital loss, right? I think that's something that's probably lost. It's, it's volatility. Yeah. So those bond prices can come back as long as the bonds are uh, as they say, money good, or as as long as people, the government still pays back their debts, you will get paid back. So in the scheme of, of, of investments, government bonds, at least developed government bonds are relatively low risk. And you would expect to make money as interest rates fall back down again. Now, some of the people in the industry who are sort of, you know, they say, where's the smart money going? A lot of them, sure. tell me who the smart people are. Exactly. Do you know who they are? <laughs> but there's a lot of people talking about putting more money into bonds and having greater sensitivity to interest rates falling because that looks kind of like the next chapter. So we, we've had rates going up. Inflation seems to be coming down. 
at some point, who knows when, we don't predict those kind of things, but we would expect that interest rates start to come down. And that tends to be a good environment for bond investing. In fact, somebody was asking me the other day about cash versus bonds. I mean, you probably get asked this. <laughs> That's coming up all the time now. So someone, you know, sells a house, someone inherits some money. We have money in motion. And that question is coming up saying, hey, I can get 4% here, I can get 5% here. Shouldn't I just do that instead of investing fully or putting in bonds or what have you? That is coming up a lot now. Absolutely right. I suppose there are circumstances when that might be the right call if it was a very short term. And I think longer term, JP Morgan did an exercise looking at all the environments where you get to this kind of period where rates are, are peaking and in a cycle, and it shows the performance of bonds versus cash. And in all of these scenarios in the past, bonds beat cash. For me, this conversation is about timing, right? right? So if you, if you take a short enough time period, you can find all sorts of episodic periods where, yeah, yeah, you would have been better off in cash, where you actually had some rate on cash, which we haven't for a while, and you had mixed markets or down markets, whatever, but they're episodic. Right. When the question comes up, should I just put it in cash? My response is, well, what was the cash rate six months ago? What was the cash rate a year ago? Right. You couldn't have got that then. What do you think your cash rate is going to be, you know, a year from now? Yeah. Are you willing to gamble on that? Are you willing to make a bet on that? Yeah. And uh, you know, the answer is no, it should do something structured with it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah I think you need to, to be thinking more about longer term. It's it's very easy to get attracted by, you know, those advertisements saying five, five and a half percent or six percent. What they don't say in those advertisements is there's an opportunity cost. It means you're not in other things that might do better. Higher rates doesn't mean it's going to be bad for equities. So I would hate to see anyone losing sight of their investment plan. I completely understand if you've got to buy a house in six months' time. Exactly. But for the longer term, you know, if people are thinking five years out, wouldn't you think bonds make a bit more sense? Because over that time frame, as I mentioned, interest rates are likely to pull back and yeah. and then you're likely to see some benefit from you that. You know, I've, I literally have just thought about this sitting here talking to you about it. I would love for us to see or create or something, a chart that shows the volatility of cash rates, which can change overnight, and the volatility of expected return, which does move around, but not nearly as much, right? right. So if you know that I have a long-term goal of this money, you know, why would you want to risk all these data points of wherever cash might be thinking you can therefore achieve your long-term goals? How do you have any certainty of that, right? It's, it's got to be a very low probability process to put in place that I'm just going to do whatever cash is going to give me and hope that over all these data points going forward, that's going to be enough to achieve my goals versus knowing that the expected return on an asset class or a combined portfolio has a lot more stability to it. And even though any individual year, the volatility return is going to be whatever it's going to be, you have some more expectational value about the long term, about what you can try and produce and therefore plan and, and achieve. Right. Absolutely. I think that people need to keep it in context. If interest rates fall a couple of percent, that could mean meaningful increase in the bond value. And you're just not sure that's going to happen. Why take that risk? Have a more sort of balanced portfolio with the bonds and, and equities. And remember, equities are also benefiting from those rising cash rises doesn't mean that equities are bad. So those companies have got cash. They're using it for short-term purposes. They're putting it in into, they're putting it in at 5% or 5.5% or in CDs and things like that. So if we look back over time when interest rates have been rising, that is actually, those have been good environments for, for equities. <laughs>